Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. Wisdom is living well in this world. It doesn't mean that everything goes well for you. It it means that whatever life is throwing at you, being able to live well through that experience. For what could be more foolish or weak or despised than a crucified man? A man dying on a cross in disgrace. And yet 1 Corinthians says that Christ has become for us the wisdom of God. Thanks for joining us. Proverbs 11, verse 24 to 28. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People curse the man who hoards grain, but blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. He who seeks good finds goodwill, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. The widow's offering. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty and put in everything, all she had to live on. Good morning. It's fantastic to be with you this morning. Welcome in the room and welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name's David, and I'm going to actually be concluding this morning our series in Proverbs, which has just been absolutely fantastic, isn't it? Looking at the wisdom uh, of that ancient uh, scripture and how it applies to our lives today. Um, And we're going to be looking at the topic this morning of generosity, uh, and we're going to be considering the wise sayings that we've just read in Proverbs 11. Now, if you think about these verses, they seem to be offering promises to us about the way we treat our money and our possessions, and that the way uh, we treat those will actually have implications for us, both in the sense of our own well-being, but also in the well-being of our community as well. And unsurprisingly, I guess we see in this that human nature is unchanged, isn't it? That uh, the challenge that was written to this ancient community thousands of years ago in Proverbs, it's just as relevant to us today. Um, it's a real struggle potentially for us to balance our own self-interest, our own financial security uh, uh, with that of the people around us and of the world around us. Um, And we really sort of face the same temptations and struggles. And actually, I guess the specific point we're at at the moment is a really good time for us to look at these verses. We know that we're facing 
uh, as a society, one of the worst cost of living crises that we, you know, that we've seen for a long, long time. Um, and we're in a period where, uh, that is we're all going to face into increasingly hard choices of do we, you know, how we manage our own resources, how we look after ourselves, but also balance that with people in need around us, and potentially people in our society who are already in poverty, for whom things are going to get potentially unbearable. Um, so my encouragement this morning is that we just allow God to come alongside us, that we pause, that we just let this ancient wisdom speak to us and really shape our hearts over the next 20 minutes or so. Um, I want to start with two things. I firstly wanted to start just with an encouragement for us as a community, because actually as I was preparing this, so Neris and I, uh, who's up in the balcony, uh, have been part of Oasis now for 20 years, uh, the last 20 years or so, unbelievably. Um, and uh, actually for much of that time, I've been one of the trustees of the, uh, of the church. And you know, we have the privilege of helping look after some of our money and how we employ people. Uh, and there's a number of us who do that. Um, and it's worth saying actually at this point that as trustees, we don't see anything in terms of how individuals give. I've got no idea how individuals in this room or online give. Um, but what we do see as trustees is a community that over decades now has really been defined by generosity. Just a consistent and costly ongoing flow of money, of time and resources given to see God's kingdom come in this city. Uh, and, you know, when I think of that, over the couple of decades I've been part of us here, it just fills me with faith um, that through every season, through every up and down over the decades, God has provided, and he's actually provided through us, through the generous, loving hearts, inspired by our love for him and our love for one another. And, you know, when you think about the church, I mean, it's an odd thing, the church, isn't it? And there's so many things about it that actually you just think this just shouldn't work. It just shouldn't, it just doesn't make any sense. But this is one aspect of church to me that's absolute evidence of God's spirit at work in our lives, in our community. It's just amazing that um, as I think about it, we can, yeah, sorry, no, what I wanted to say is I think we just need to begin by saying a big well done to Oasis, a big well done from the Lord uh, for your sacrifice, for your ongoing commitment to what we're doing here. Um, it's just so pleasing to him. So well done. Um, and in that, I just wanted to consider, actually, for a minute, those of you sitting down on here, the, the chair that you're sitting on. Because the chair that you're sitting on, um, actually for us as community, embodies this proverb, the proverb we just read, that one person gives freely yet gains even more. Because of those of you who may not know, that actually our home for us for a number of years was at Edgebuston Cricket Ground. Uh, and we were there, we lived there as a community. We sought to be generous with our time, with the staff, helping at events and being part of the life of the cricket ground. Uh, and that giving freely caused us to gain even more. And one small example of that was in them deciding actually to give these chairs to us as a generous gift as we left. Uh, and that's a symbol of their appreciation to us uh, to this day. So there you go, you're sitting on an embodiment of the proverb that we're looking at today. Um, the second thing I wanted to start with was just actually a sum, to sum up how this gen generosity works. And really, if you get this, I'm not saying you could switch off for the rest of the talk, but this is really what we're looking at today. Um, we might be tempted to this morning to think, well, generosity and how generous I am, that's all about how much stuff I've got to give away. But what we're going to look at today is to see that actually our generosity, it begins 
It's sustained by and it's defined by the ongoing generosity that we experience through our relationship with Jesus. So that's where we're going this morning. Please don't switch off, but that is where we're going this morning. Now, have you ever experienced unwelcome generosity? Have you ever been that person who's opened a present that you've received and you've thought, ah, this is not really what I wanted, and you try and conceal your obvious disappointment? Well, before we dive and have a look into the topic of generosity, I just was preparing this. I was reminded of one of the weirder moments of generosity that occurred to me when I was a teenager, actually, and it happened in a church setting. Um, So I was 15 15 years old. I was on a church camp, okay, in the middle of a field, as you do on on church camps, and it was a whole church thing. And we were in a circle uh, taking communion, and we are all passing the communion around. And as the person next to me, who was a man who I knew relatively well, um, leant over to me uh, as he was handing me uh, the communion. He said, David, what size waist are you? And I thought, this is strange. This is slightly strange. He said, because David, I believe that the Lord has told me that I am to give you my trousers. I don't know what you, you're meant to do or say when someone leans over to this. You know, just kind of, what, here and now? Is he going to start taking his trousers off? Um, and I, I just said, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. And, you know, a week later, when we were back in church, he came with a plastic bag which had his trousers in it and also a load of Christian heavy metal CDs. And at that point, I didn't even know that Christian heavy metal existed. Um, And he explained, he said, actually, as he was sitting there in communion, he he was reminded of when he was my age uh, and actually how little he had when he was my age. And he just felt like this urge to want to be generous. So it's a little bit strange, a little bit strange application, but actually from a really good heart of him sensing to want to be generous. And even funnier was a week or a few weeks later, he came up to me again and said, David, I've noticed you've not been wearing my trousers. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I just don't feel like they're really mean. He said, oh, it's absolutely fine. Do you mind if I have them back? <laughs> so I go for his trousers back. So there you go. Stick around in church long enough. I guarantee you'll all have these stories. Um, so thinking about generosity uh, as Christians, where does this all begin uh, and, you know, as uh, Alice has just announced, you know, we have an offering here on a Sunday morning. We talk about that. And sometimes when we're doing that, we say, actually, it's not about the amount uh, that you give, but it really is about the heart. And that's not something that we just say as a glib sentence um, to make us all feel a little bit better. But it's actually something that consistently talks about how the Bible uh, talks about these things. Because the Bible isn't concerned with rules about amounts or processes of how we allocate our resources. The Bible, as you read it, is actually deeply concerned about our attitudes, our motivations, when it comes to our possessions. The message is really clear from the Old Testament to the New, that everything we have already comes from God, that we're the stewards of the things that he's given us, and we're to steward them well by having open and generous hearts towards him that are highly attuned to those who are around us and to the needs of those around us. But you know what that means? That if we... Uh, it means that we actually need to have experienced the God and his generosity in order to live in the freedom of that generosity. And we know, as we often say, that the Bible is a series of stories that lead us to Jesus. The Bible starts by telling us that God's intention for the world was for humanity actually to live in incredible abundance. 
in a garden that he created that contained everything we need to live and flourish. In that garden, there would be no need for possessions or ownership because there was actually plenty for everyone to be provided for. That, you know, God created, we read in Genesis, that he created the whole natural order and announced just how good it was. And that was God's first act of just incredible generosity. Creation is God's first act of incredible generosity to us. And it's worth even probably pausing just on that to think about that for a while. Um, However, in the middle of all that abundance, God gave us a choice. He gave humanity a choice of obedience. So will we continue to trust God to provide uh, and to define what is good and what is bad for us? Or will we take that control into our own hands? Will we take the apple, which symbolizes taking control of our own destiny, of my own right of wrong, of providing now for myself rather than entrusting in God's provision? And in Genesis 3, 6, it says that when the woman saw the, first fr- the, saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. That was the first act of anti-generosity. That in a garden full of abundance and goodness, how scornful, how arrogant we humans have been to ignore God's goodness and to seek to possess and take for ourselves and rather than being good stewards of all that God's given us. Mike has uh, shared a couple of times uh, with us before where was, this was described by Augustine as a life that is curved in on itself. And that was later picked up and developed by Martin Luther in his commentary on, uh, on the book of Romans where, this will just come up on the screen, where it says, our nature by the corruption of the first sin being so, ple- so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, or rather even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts, but it also fails to realize that it so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake, that curving inward. And we see the full impact of the fall and the disease of that self-interest playing out in the following chapters of Genesis, where humanity just falls apart in this destructive spiral of self-interest. And we see the problem of sin actually playing out in our world today. And actually, if we're honest, we see that problem playing out in our own hearts, our own self-obsession. We're in a world where there is still, there is still in our world, massive abundance. And yet, even in this country, in a wealthy country, there's people who go without, who live in poverty, let alone even thinking about the nations of the world and how the resources of this earth are distributed across the earth. But, you know, thankfully, that is not where the story ends. We know that the Bible from beginning to end is, God's, is a story of God's redemption of people, a promise of how God will restore us to a life of abundance in relationship with him. And throughout the story, uh, throughout, sorry, out the Bible, the story after story of God showing his generosity, his blessing, and his favor on people, often people rejecting God's goodness and getting things wrong, but also at times are seeing the world that he wants to make, communities made right by him. And the story leads to us to the greatest act of generosity in the history of the world, where God chose to send his own son as, a, as an atoning sacrifice to pay our debt of sin and offer renewed relationship with him and a life where we're set free from sin and able to live in a community and with him in the harmony that he always intended. And that is the, 
that is the origin of the generosity that the Bible speaks about. And you know, we see that in Matthew 10, verse 8, where Jesus is commissioning his disciples, where he says, freely you've received, now freely give. It's out of that receiving that we're then able to give and be generous. So it's out of that generosity and freedom in Jesus that we've received that we're able to give. Um, And that's not just when we make a commitment for the first time, but that's about us ongoingly receiving God's goodness and God's generosity in our day-to-day. Now, um, one of the privileges we enjoyed this summer was actually going on a a foreign holiday. Um, And in thinking about this topic of generosity, uh, a story came to mind um, of something that occurred on the plane on the way back uh, from that holiday. Where if, you, if you've been on a plane before, sometimes the cabin crew do this. They do the usual kind of request for anyone's holiday, surplus holiday change um, to go into a bag to give to their charity. And their particular charity supports uh, children in need around the world. And, you know, usually you'll see the bag get passed around and a few people might put a few, a few coins in. Uh, and the occasional person, uh, yeah, will, will, will put the, the leftover change that they've got. However, it was different this time because the flight attendant who asked for the money started to say how this specific gift uh, was to be sent to help the children of Ukraine. And then at that point, you start, everyone started listening a little bit more, um, and especially some of those being supported on the Polish border. Um, and then he went on to say, actually, that as an ambassador of the airline, he'd, been visit, he'd actually been to visit these children and been on the Polish border to visit the children he started to just briefly describe how his first-hand experience of meeting them, of the trauma uh, that he'd seen, and just what an incredible difference these resources and this gift was going to make uh, to be able to support and help those children. Do you know, it was a really short request, but something in the atmosphere changed on the plane uh, at that point. Um, as people started to move around, they started to dig for their money um, in their bags, and they're clearly moved by what he said. And we're at the back of the plane, and by the time that bag and that offering uh, kind of see-through bag got to us, it was just stuffed with banknotes. It was an incredible gift, and the the staff were like overwhelmed by how how much money had been given. It just got me thinking about this outpouring of generosity, and I guess actually we know that it's connected to the fact that we are all feeling um, that empathy and that sense of connection with what's going on in Ukraine and the horrors of the war there, but also the fact that he had personally been there amongst those children. It brought this immediate and present sense of connection and compassion to the children that he described. It changed that atmosphere on the plane and it moved people's hearts and opened this overflow of generosity. And as I was thinking about it, for me, this is so similar to how we experience Jesus. Because you know, for some of us, Jesus still remains a bit of a distant character in our lives that we read about him, we hear about him, but we may not yet have heard that very personal call. You've not experienced actually his presence, his personal presence and his generosity firsthand. But if that is you, you know, Jesus isn't never content to remain as some sort of distant and fictional hero in your life. He wants to come close. Jesus desires a sustaining and daily relationship with you, that when you meet him, when he walks in the room or he joins you on the aeroplane, the atmosphere changes and he will draw out of you a longing for eternity, a longing for him that you may not have even known existed or was possible. That curving in on ourselves that we've talked about actually starts to reverse and it opens our hearts to receive him and to be open to him. 
And there really is an encounter for each of us that will literally change our lives, literally change our priorities, literally set at the center of our life in a completely different place and put it on a priority of friendship being worked out with Jesus on a day-to-day basis. And this is my first point, that our generosity, it begins, it's sustained with and defined by the ongoing of generosity that we experience through our relationship with Jesus. So I guess the question to us this morning is, have we experienced that? Have we actually experienced his sustaining and his generous presence in our lives? And if you haven't, maybe this morning it'd be good just at the end to pray for you uh, and to pray that God would reveal himself to you in his presence. So my next point uh, is about how God sees and measures value. Do you ever ask yourself the question, you know, I wonder what God would do in this situation? You encounter a particular set of circumstances and you think, oh, you know, I wonder what Jesus would do. And this is what we get in the Gospels. And we've read this wonderful story of this interaction with the woman this morning who, who's, who's giving into the offering. And this is what the Gospel gives us. It gives us God-made flesh, Jesus in the flesh, interacting with different people. And we can look at the Gospels and see God's character revealed in the way that he interacts with people. And that's what we've seen this morning. And the story that uh, Michaela read out this morning was that of Jesus just looking at the offering, sitting in the temple, looking at the offering, and different people uh, putting money in, and actually some wealthy people coming and putting their money in, but then him observing uh, a widow who comes and puts a couple of coins in, but literally gives everything that she has. And Jesus says, come, come see this, come and see this to his disciples. Actually, look, she's given more. She's actually given more uh, than all the wealthy people have given because actually she's given everything. And looking at that story, the story underlines for us so encouragingly that God isn't looking at the amounts that we give. His measure um, is about the attitude and position of our hearts towards him. He doesn't say that actually what the rich people gave was wrong. He's simply pointing out that the way the world measures value is very different to a heavenly measure of value. In heaven, The value of the widow's gift was far greater than that of the wealthy people because of the totality and the abandonment and the completeness of her gift. She literally gave everything. It cost her everything. In Matthew 6, um, similarly, it says, do not store up for yourself uh, treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, Really similarly in Psalm 51, it says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And for me, you know, the most significant acts of generosity in my life um, have not about been me giving in such a way that I am somehow trying to impress God or others by my own efforts. For me, actually, it's been when I feel so close to God that almost the value and the importance of the stuff around me, it just loses its importance. It's like a sense that I'm so caught up in Jesus that it just doesn't matter. It all belongs to him. None of this has any hold on me because my treasure is him. He can have it all. Jesus, how can I show this generosity that you've shown to me to others? It's an act of worship. It's tied up in my relationship with him. It's not a duty. It's not a 10% rule. But it's really just part of that adventure of me walking with him. 
And you know, often I get that wrong because I don't always walk closely with him. But you know, when I look at the story of that woman, I think that's what Jesus is seeing in the woman, that her offering was her giving everything out of a heart of love to God. And that's a a real challenge to us this morning. Finally, um, I just want to finish by talking about some of the obstacles um, to generosity that we we face. Um, Now, when I was a student, I could honestly say, and this is not an encouragement to the students who are about to leave us, but I had very little money. I had no money. My parents actually were separated at that point, and neither of them uh, were able to support me. So actually, university, being honest, for me, was actually into every term I went into, I carried a level of anxiety around whether there would be enough money um, to get through each term. Um, However, at the beginning of my university life, when money was was really, really tight, I went to the supermarket, okay? It was a quick save. I don't know, does everyone remember a quick save? It was like a predecessor to Aldi, but not not as good. Um, (laughs) Broken biscuits, if you remember those. Very good if you're a student. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of term, I got a pile of stuff, a trolley load of stuff for the term. Um, but when I got to the checkout, actually, two friends were there. Uh, and they said, David, just this time, we want to pay for your, uh, for your shopping. Um, and they were Christians. And they just felt it was something that God had put on their hearts. Uh, and, you know, I was just totally blown away because um, they weren't aware of the fear at that point that I was facing in terms of money. Um, But as we walked back to our our digs, I just felt elevated. I felt the fear and the trepidation around money had lifted. And that one act of generosity, even though it didn't give me enough money to live for the rest of the term, but what it gave me actually was a promise. Um, A promise as as I walked through uni that God was attentive to my needs and he was going to provide for me. Um, It was wonderful. And maybe some of you just take that story this morning in each of your situations, uh, to know that God's here. He knows you, uh, and he will provide for you. Because um, being honest, actually, because of the uncertainty around money that I, I grew up in, um, I think I could even still carry a level of fear in the way that I deal with money. Um, you know, is there going to be enough? Can we put enough aside? Will there always be enough for a rainy day? Um, But in Proverbs 11, where we look at that, it talks about the temptation of hoarding, um, where it says, people curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. And this proverb isn't suggesting that having the grain or the resources in the first place is wrong, but rather it's that temptation to hoard, that is the, the want to kind of always make sure there's enough for me, enough for my family, regardless of the needs of others. And for me, that temptation actually sometimes can just arise as a result of, of fear, of fear about the future and a lack of trust in God. And, you know, given the uncertainty we're facing in our economy and society and the cost of living crisis, it's totally understandable, actually, that that fear will be very acute um, among a number of you at the moment. Um, and I guess my encouragement is that we really acknowledge that, that we, we pray and we ask for God's help Um, But also, we don't allow that to remain as something that defines our level of generosity to others as God presents different needs to us. Um, And what I'm not saying, actually, is that we shouldn't be prudent in uh, saving because pensions and savings and all those things are good. But I think, actually, for us to constantly challenge our heart towards those things and whether those become the things that we're trusting in rather than it being uh, God. 
uh, that we're trusting in. And you know what? I bet after this talk, there's going to be a number of ways in which God challenges us uh, to raise the knife to some of those things and to, uh, to think about our relationship with them. Do you know, I felt really challenged this summer. Um, uh, went away uh, to the New Day Youth Camp. Had a fantastic time uh, with some of our youth. Um, and met this really amazing chap, a very challenging chap, uh, who was camping next to us, who was a missionary, actually spent most of his life as a missionary in the Middle East, uh, in mainly Muslim countries. And he was camping next to us and got chatting, and he told a lot of very good stories. And he told me one story when he was planning to marry his wife. Um, He was from India. She was from the UK. Uh, They were out in the Middle East, and... um, they were, getting, they were getting married, and they wanted to come back, basically, to the UK after they got married to meet her extended family. And she asked him for his bank details, because she needed to arrange a few things and practicalities around, you know, how they, how they got back. And he had to explain to her that even though he had a very well-paid job in the Middle East and had been earning for a number of years, he didn't actually have a bank account, didn't have a bank. Um, and this was like the late 90s, so, you know, he, he really should have had a bank account. And I think his wife wasn't very impressed that he uh, didn't have a bank account. But he explained to me that um, this is just one way that he'd actually learn to trust and walk with God. That basically each month he cashed his paycheck, he paid for his rent, his living costs, and then he just sought to be generous uh, with the rest, with the full expectation that by the end of the month he'd have nothing left. So it wasn't even that he was hoarding his grain. He didn't even have a grain store. He had nowhere to put it. Um, There's a much longer story, actually, than he told about a business he started in India that's been hugely successful and uh, actually funds a lot of the work he continues to do today. And he, again, is is an embodiment of that proverb that uh, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. God's really blessed him. And I felt inspired because, you know, in my Western, my highly conventional mindset, what he was doing seemed really crazy. Um, But again, I think heaven really measured him in a very different way. Uh, and again, challenge me, and I think could challenge us this morning. Right, in conclusion, to, uh, just got a few minutes left, um, I just want to leave us with both a, uh, a promise and a practice this morning to take away, just to, um, to draw our time together this morning to a close. Um, firstly, the promise is for us to understand exactly what God does and doesn't promise in terms of generosity, because it's so important that we don't fool ourselves like Martin Luther Describe that we turn these promises somehow that we've looked at in Proverbs into something that's much more about us than it is about God. That somehow being a Christian is a guarantee of future prosperity and material wealth. Because um, actually, if we're honest, a major obstacle to us being generous is actually uh, a level of disappointment potentially that we carry, that we don't feel that God has been as generous to us as as we think he should, or that we think his word says that he should. And we can actually live with an almost unsaid rule that said, I'll be generous to others once God gives me the stuff that he clearly promises in his world, in his word, sorry. Um, however, however, an honest reading of the Bible um, really should lead us to think quite the opposite, that our hope is in no way in the things of the world, but really in heavenly treasure and eternal riches of ultimate fulfillment only coming from him when he returns and he restores Eden fully on the earth. But I guess the problem is that in our hearts, we still long for that bounty of Eden, for a life where we're fully provided for, and it's so easy to set our eyes and our hearts on the wrong things. And being honest for me, I have to constantly recalibrate my expectations to that future 
fulfillment. To live with a sense of how generously God has provided for me in the present, but also to receive a promise of what he says is to come. And you know, in all the uncertainty we're currently living through, this is actually, this is a really important time for us as a church to live in the truth of that, to live and shine as an incredible and beautiful, generous bride in our society and in this city, as a community of hope, as a group of people uh, living with that certainty of our internal inheritance, not rocked by the next bit of bad news, but really firmly rooted on the rock of his love and with our eyes fixed on him. Um, I'm just conscious of time and I'm going to therefore say uh, that was the promise and now finally the practice, which is my last point, um, was just to say actually one book I've read recently uh, which I would really encourage you to read is Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. I don't have a lot of time clearly to talk about this um, but this book is really provoking because actually on the topics of money, sorry, um, on the topics of money, um, the Bible was really written in very much a collectivist society uh, and which just could not be more different to the individualistic society that we now live in. And it really is a phenomenally different worldview. And I felt challenged on a number of points, um, but money, possessions, and the way we deal with those uh, is key uh, within that. Uh, and I, I found it really challenging. Um, one thing that the book says, is actually in reading scripture, that one thing we need to constantly look at is whether a good question is, how does this apply to me? But often with most verses we look at, it's actually a better question is how does this apply to us as a community? Uh, and that's really important to, to take on. And do you know that practice of thinking about us is also acknowledging that as a community, um, it could well be that there's a number of you here, actually your current situation in terms of money and what you're facing now is quite overwhelming. Um, and if that's the case, I just want to say that we really want to stand with you. Uh, and I would encourage you to make that need known to us as a team. Because um, one thing I think that as we've all been in church, uh, you know, a time, a community of generosity isn't just defined by people who are able to give, but also at times it's really important that you hear that it's defined by your ability to receive as well. And actually um, that can be humbling, but for you to know there is no shame in having need and we would love to be able to help you if there is need. Uh, here and uh, you know that's part of what God's called us to do um, so that's the promise uh, and that's the practice the practice is that we're to think uh, much more about we rather than I and me and how can we apply that this week so uh, I'm conscious uh, of time and I would just like us to pray uh, and I stand and I'll, I'm going to pray for us to uh, to end if that's okay Yeah, Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for how good you are, how generous you are. Lord, we look at the earth and all that you created, Lord Jesus, and just the incredible abundance of your goodness. Lord Jesus, thank you that that is for all humans. And that, Lord Jesus, you've called all of us to you to experience that generosity and then to be part of the incredible story, Lord Jesus, of your generous kingdom coming on the earth, of your goodness and your overflow. And Holy Spirit, I just welcome those this morning. Uh, I just welcome you, Lord Jesus, to touch those uh, who haven't yet experienced you firsthand. 
for you to come to them, to their hearts now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are so gentle. You are so good to us. I just welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to come. And just for those who actually really need to know more of your personal presence this morning, just as we heard about in the, uh, in the worship, just that reviving of our hearts, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you to do that now, to bring a sense of your presence. And Holy Spirit, I want to pray for those who are just living with a real sense of fear around money this morning. And Lord, just that promise of your provision, I pray, Lord, you would impart that. That, Lord, that you see it all, that you see the needs, that, Jesus, you understand the income, the income and the outflowing, Lord, and you know the gaps. And Holy Spirit, I just welcome you to provide. But firstly, provide with that promise of your love, of your provision. And lastly, Lord, I I just want to ask that you would show us as a community how we do the us much better. But Lord Jesus, we know we live in a society that's so focused on itself. We have such an opportunity to be a community that shows there's a different way in the way that we support one another, in the way that we care for one another, in the way that we can actually be part of the answer of alleviating some of the societal pressures around social care, the NHS, all the things that we're living with as difficulties right now. But Lord, we could demonstrate and be a bride that brings another way of seeing um, people cared for and provided for. And Lord, I pray you'd open in us, in our hearts, new ways of doing the we. New ways, Lord Jesus, of being that we in, uh, in Birmingham. Yeah. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your goodness this morning. And uh, just pray for everyone that they'll go with a sense of your presence and your peace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.